Praise the Lord. There's so much going on right now. I'm already sweating. Can you see it? My, my forehead glistening. <clears throat> I am very excited um, this morning to share this message with you and, and very excited to be one of the first fruits of this new equipment. I know that um, the Lord has a lot of great things in store for us using all this. And I want to thank all of those of you who used to run camera. Uh, you don't have to anymore. They, uh, we got two automatic cameras. The, the only problem with them is that I am faster than they are. So whenever I move, he has to jam it to the left or to the right to catch up with me. So I'm going to have to be very careful uh, that I don't do that. We'll see. All of those who used to run camera know exactly what I'm talking about. Um, when I was praying about what it is that the Lord wanted me to talk about today, um, I, I just kept thinking about the favor of the Lord, the favor of the Lord. How do you get the favor of the Lord? I think everybody wants God's favor. Everybody wants to be in right standing with God. Everybody wants the blessing. And, and everybody thinks about the formulas that it takes to receive that blessing. How do I get God's blessing? So I began to study. I looked into scripture and, and tried to find, you know, how, how does one find favor? Where, where does favor show up in the word of God? And, and as I went through my journey, uh, I found it very exciting, interesting to see what the word says to us. Let me make a note real quick right here. We're going to start here in First Chronicles chapter 13 in, into what is one of my favorite stories. Uh, you'll hear me preach on it a lot because I find it fascinating the way that, that the events transpired here in this particular story. We're going to read this story um, throughout this sermon, but we're going to start with this first part here. First Chronicles 13, 1 through 14, and David consulted with the captains of thousands and hundreds, and with every leader. And David said unto all the congregation of Israel, If it seem good unto you, and that it be of the Lord our God, let us send abroad unto our brethren everywhere that are left in all the land of Israel, and with them also to the priests and Levites which are in their cities and suburbs, that they may gather themselves unto us. Let us, again, let us bring again the ark of God, of our God, to us. For we inquired not at it in the days of Saul, and all the congregation said that they would do so, for the thing was right in the eyes of all the people. So David gathered all Israel together from Shehor of Egypt, even unto the entering of Hemoth, to bring the ark of God from Krajirthrim. And David went up, and all Israel to Bala, that is to Krajirthrim, which belonged to Judah, to bring thence the ark of God, the Lord, that dwells between the cherubims, whose name is called on it. And they carried the ark of God in a new cart out of the house of Abinadab, and Uzzah and Ahio drove the cart. And not to be confused with Io. And David and all Israel played before God with all their might, and with singing, and with harps, and with psalteries, and with timbrels, and with cymbals, and with trumpets. There was worship going on, people. And when they came unto the threshing floor of Shaddon, Uzzah put forth his hand to hold the ark. For the oxen stumbled. 
And the anger of the Lord was kindled against Uzzah, and he smote him because he put his hand to the ark. And there he died before God. And David was displeased because the Lord had made a breach upon Uzzah. Wherefore, that place is called Perez Uzzah to this day. And David was afraid of God that day, saying, How shall I bring the ark of God home to me? So David brought not the ark home to himself to the city of David, but carried it aside into the house of Obed-Edom, the Gittite. And the ark of God remained with the family of Obed-Edom in his house three months. And the Lord blessed the house of Obed-Edom and all that he had. Therefore, blessing comes from the presence of God. Blessing comes from the presence of God. You cannot have blessing without the presence of God. And we see that here in this story where David says, I'm going to bring this thing home. We, we haven't prayed to God. We haven't had it in its rightful place in the tabernacle since the days of Saul because of what he was doing. We need to bring this thing back home. So David says, people... This is what we need to do. And who does he consult at this point in time? The captains of thousands and hundreds and the leaders. And he says, look, does this sound good to you guys? Do we need to go get this thing? Yeah, yeah, we agree. We agree. Let's go do this. So David and his cohorts all come together and they say, well, how are we going to do this? Well, let's just put it on a cart, right? Put it in the car. Put it in the trunk. It's the easiest thing to do. Put it in the trunk. Let's just drive it over to where it needs to be. So they put it on the cart. They're driving over. And, and as they're going over, one of the oxen hits a rock or a crevice or something, and it stumbles. And when it stumbles, it jostles the cart. And Uzzah, who was there standing by, walking with the cart, put his hand out, and he steadied it. Because he could see the Ark of the Covenant rocking. They probably didn't tie it down. They, they probably didn't want to touch it because they knew what happens when you touch it. But it's, it's rocking back and forth. And Uzzah, not even thinking, puts his hand up as a knee-jerk reaction, touches the ark to steady it and, and immediately dies, immediately gets stricken by, by the Lord. And, and I, I can't even imagine the uproar that happens at that point in time where this guy is walking, touches the ark, and all of a sudden, boom, he just falls down and dies. Was there a visible sign that God smote him? Was there lightning that came from the heavens to kill him was he did he burst into flames did an angel come down and, and chop off? we don't know we don't know what happened we just know that he dies and the, and the bible uses a very a very strong word here smote him he smote him so he it, it's not maybe that he just collapsed like he fainted i think people would have recognized a faint versus uh, a death but he's dead and david is put off by this you ever been put off by the Lord? He's put off by this. He's upset. Lord, why would you kill him? And, and, and David, flabbergasted by what has just happened, decides now is not the time to be moving this thing. So he, he takes it, and, and not too far off is the house of Obed-Edom. So he says, we're just going to go put it over there. This guy's a good, uh, a good Jew, a good Christian. We'll say it that way. He's a good Jew, a good Christian, a man of faith, a man of power, a man who believes in God. And, and fears the Lord, we're going to put it at his house. And, and what happens is, over the next three months, the house of Obed-Edom is blessed. 
blessed in ways that it's never been blessed before. Everything begins to prosper. Things are just going right for Obed-Edom and his family. I don't know if his, um, his crops started to get better, if his, if his uh, kine, his cows, started to be better, have tastier meat, if, if they could just find grass everywhere, if, if the hunting was good, if the gathering was good, if the farming was good. I don't know, but the Bible says that Obed-Edom was blessed because the Ark of the Covenant was at his home. So the blessing came because of the presence of God was with Obed-Edom. I, I think about this story and, and how many times we go before the Lord and, and we pray. And, and there's, everybody knows there's different types of prayer, right? There's the, the intercessory prayer, the standing in the gap. There's the, uh, the, the Lord, I need something type of prayer. There's the, I just want to be in your presence type of prayer. There's different types of prayer, different types of ways that you can come before God. I have always found it true that when I come before God just to be in his presence, just to be in his presence, my day looks different. Not necessarily because everything goes my way. But have you ever had one of those days where everything seems to be going wrong and you just don't care? You ever felt that way? Everything's just going wrong. I fell down and, and I cut myself, or I, was, I, I had some money in my pocket and I lost it, or, or I'm, I'm going through this place and, and I get there and the place is closed, or they're out of Slurpees and the, the ice cream machine's not working, whatever it might be. You're just going through your day and it's just not going right for you. But, but the sun is still shining. You're alive and you're breathing and everything is just right in your heart, in your spirit. Everything just feels right. You ever felt that way before? That happens to me when I have that mindset, the spiritual attitude of God's presence is with me. And no matter what's going wrong, God is with me. And so it really just doesn't matter anymore. I think the opposite is true as well, though. There's times when my day is not necessarily, uh, or I, I have not necessarily been in the presence of the Lord. And, and bad things aren't necessarily happening to me, but everything just feels wrong. You ever felt that way before? It's just not going right for me. My, my, my head hurts. All these things are happening, and I don't know why they're happening to me. I feel depressed. I feel like I can't move forward. Man, man, I sound bipolar over here. All these things are happening, and I just don't feel like I'm moving forward in my spirit. And I find that those are the times when I'm not focused on the Lord, when I haven't invited his presence to be with me. And, and there are many times when you have to shake yourself, or I have to shake myself. And say, despite all these things that are happening or not happening, the presence of God, the, the power, the love of God is still here. And it's when I change that attitude, when I change that mindset, that, that all of a sudden my perspective completely shifts. And then I can see the blessings of the Lord come to my life. Let me be clear. It's not about getting stuff. It's not about things going right. It's about what the presence of the Lord does for you internally. I think about all the blessings that God has given me, all the blessings in my life, from, from work to family to just life in general. Everything that I have today, I count it as a blessing from God. It is very easy for us, for me to look at my life and say, not enough. You ever felt that way? Sorry. 
You ever felt that way? It's not enough. I need more. I, I don't have what, what I think I deserve. I don't have what I need. I, there's times, and look, I'm not, I'm not perfect. I'm not super righteous. But there's times when I walk uh, in certain places, like the mall. I was at North Park Mall the other day. It was my birthday. Uh, I thought I deserved a treat. Don't I deserve a treat? So I, I thought I deserved a treat, and I had just been given all sorts of gifts from people. And, and one of uh, my favorite people gave me a, a $50 gold coin from North Park Mall. So I was going to go, and I'm going to spend this thing, right? I'm going to go and get something for myself from North Park Mall. And, and so I went to, you guessed it, the Lego store, right? I went to the Lego store, and, and I thought, now I have enough money to buy one of those big Legos. And the one I got was the Harley-Davidson motorcycle made out of Legos. It's very cool, brother. You would like it. So I went, I went and I stood in line, and, and you have to wait outside because of COVID restrictions and all this. You have to wait outside now until they have enough room for you, sitting there, standing. And I look around, and, and the first thought that comes to my head is this, decadence. Look at everything that we have here in America. And, and, and my mind immediately went to, I don't know why, some, some poor kid in Indonesia, squatting down, playing in the mud, and just enjoying himself, and, and having to rush over maybe uh, 600 yards, maybe a mile, to go get fresh water. And, and you think about that, where you just wake up, and you turn on the spigot, and there's your fresh water right there, and, and maybe you don't like the taste of tap water, but you've got fresh water right there. That, I don't know why I started thinking this way, standing there waiting for my turn at the Lego store, but I started thinking about it. We have so much, and yet we want so much more for some reason. And I, at that point in time, began to think about the blessing that God has given to me and to my family. And, and that I don't have a right to squander this blessing. It, it is my duty, my duty. I'm not saying this is for you necessarily. But it is my duty to share that blessing with the world. And I think the greatest blessing that you can share with this world is the message of the gospel, salvation, because it's not about stuff. It's about relationship. We're going to get to that at the very end here. It's about relationship. And when you have that relationship with the Lord, everything just falls in place, not because you get stuff, but because your spirit is right with God, and then everything else just doesn't matter. That is what this story is truly talking about. When it says that Obed-Edom was blessed because the presence of God was in there. So, so I said earlier, imagine maybe his cattle are doing better, his farm is doing better. I wonder if he was just better. He felt better. He knew better. It, it maybe not physically, but he, in his spirit, was right because the presence of God was with him day in and day out. And so as I began to study this idea of favor and what really happens, I began to look. Let's continue in Genesis chapter 17. And Abraham was 90 years old and nine. 99 years old when he was circumcised in the flesh of his foreskin. And Ishmael, his son, was 13 years old when he was circumcised in the flesh of his foreskin. In the selfsame day was Abraham circumcised and Ishmael his son and all the men of his house born in the house and bought with money of the stranger 
were circumcised with him. Let me pause there. Uh, circumcision is a baby, not that big a deal because you're never going to remember it. I, I don't remember mine. I hope nobody else does. As an adult, it's a very different story. In fact, as an adult, and the Bible talks about this, as an adult, that circumcision pretty much knocks you out for eight days. You, you're done. There's nothing that you can do. You can't walk. You can't sit up. You can't do anything. So here we have a 99-year-old Abraham getting circumcised and, and pretty much telling his whole house, everybody's going to do this. Why? Why? This is the part we didn't read, but you're welcome to read it uh, afterwards. Because God told him to. Abraham, I need you to be set apart from everybody else out there in this world. And so the way that we're going to do that is you are going to get circumcised. You and all of your people are going to get circumcised. And he understood what that meant. He understood the pain. He understood the sacrifice. And he said, Lord, if that's what you want, we're going to do it. And so, so Abraham obeys God. And out of that uh, obeisance, the Lord appeared unto him in the plains of Mamre. And he sat in the tent door in the heat of the day. And he lift up his eyes and looked, and lo, three men stood by him. And when he saw them, he ran to meet them from the tent door and bowed himself toward the ground and said, My Lord, if now I have found favor in your sight, pass not away. I pray thee from your servant. Let a little water, I pray you, be fetched and wash your feet. You rest yourselves under this tree. I'll fetch some bread and comfort your hearts. Uh, after that, you can pass on, for therefore are you come to your servant. And they said, do as thou hast said. Verse 6, and Abraham hastened into the tent unto Sarah and said, make ready quickly three measures of fine meal, knead it, make cakes upon the hearth. And Abraham ran unto the herd and fetched a calf tender and good. They had a barbecue and gave it unto a young man and he t hasted to dress it. And he took butter and milk and the calf which he had dressed and set it before them. And he stood by them under the tree, and they did eat. And of obedience of the circumcision, Abraham receives favor, favor in his sight. And they said unto him, verse 9, where is Sarah? And he said, behold, in the tent. And he said, I will certainly return unto thee according to the time of life, and your wife shall have a son. And Sarah heard it in the tent door which was behind him. Now Abraham and Sarah were old and well stricken in age, and it ceased to be with Sarah after the manner of women. In other words, she couldn't conceive anymore physically. Therefore Sarah laughed within herself, saying, After I am waxed old, shall I have pleasure, my Lord being old also? And the Lord said unto Abraham, Why is Sarah laughing? Surely of a surety bear a child which am old. Is anything too hard for the Lord? And at that time appointed I will return unto thee according to the time of life, and Sarah shall have a son. Then Sarah denied. She was embarrassed, saying, I, I didn't laugh, for she was afraid. And he said, no, but you did laugh. Abraham understood obedience. Abraham understood listening to the word of God and doing what is asked of him. And because of that, the presence of God was activated in his life. It is because of grace, favor, that the presence of God came into his life. So earlier I told you that blessings come from the presence of God. The presence of God comes through grace. The 
presence of God comes through God seeing favor. And how does that favor come? We're going to talk about that next. We're going to look at the life of Joseph. In Genesis 39, 21, But the Lord was with Joseph and showed him mercy and gave him favor in the sight of the keeper of the prison. And the keeper of the prison committed to Joseph's hand all the prisoners that were in the prison. And whatsoever they did there, he was the doer of it. The keeper of the prison looked not to anything that was under his hand because the Lord was with him. And that which he did, the Lord made it to prosper. Why did the keeper of the prison favor Joseph? If you remember the story, Genesis 39, around verse 1 and thereafter, because we we started here in verse uh, 21. If you remember the story, Joseph gets sold into slavery before verse chapter 39, but he gets sold into slavery. He's now living with Pharaoh, and Pharaoh begins to look upon him uh, favorably, right? All these things are happening, and, and Pharaoh starts to give more and more power and authority to Joseph. And one day, Pharaoh's wife attempts to seduce Joseph and um, curry favor with him, and, and Joseph's like, no, 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 I'm, I'm not having any of that. Look, I'm, I'm a follower of God. That would be, right, that would be wrong uh, against God, and it would be wrong against Pharaoh. And, and so she comes after him in, in such a way where he has to get out of the way quickly, right? So she grabs him. She grabs his coat. He, he gets the coat off just in time to be able to run away, but she's left there hanging uh, with his coat. She calls the guards and says, look, he tried to seduce me, and, and I have proof. I have his coat. And so Pharaoh and the guards, they, they put him into prison. And if you look at the life of Joseph, it's not necessarily a life that anybody would say, wow, I want to live the life of Joseph. Because we think about this knowing the end of the story, but not thinking about all the things, all the steps that have to happen for Joseph to be where he was. We, we know what happens at the end, right? Joseph gets sold into slavery. He gets beat up by his brothers. He gets uh, thrown into jail. All these things are happening to Joseph. And, and if you think about the, the circumstances and, and the milestones of Joseph's, Joseph's life, which one of those milestones would you have wanted to enter into in his life? Sold into slavery, beat up by his brothers, thrown into prison. You ever thought about your life and thought, man, things are just not going right for me right now. Why, why, is, why has the Lord left me? Why, why am I not receiving the favor and the blessing of God? But look at Joseph. Look at Joseph. Could he not at this very moment said, God is no longer with me because I'm in prison? Because I'm doing everything I've been asked to do, but I'm in prison right now. I've, I've, been, I've been trying to be obedient. I've been doing all the things that you've asked of me. I, I've even been righteous and try to run away from temptation and sin. But what's happened is I, 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 put, I was caught in this lie, and, and now I'm being thrown into prison. So Joseph is here in prison, and what does he do? Complain? Start to, to grumble? And say, you know, God is not with me. No, he begins to be obedient. He begins to follow whatever the prison keeper wants him to do. In fact, so much so 
that the keeper of the prison looks at him and says, wow, you are a great person to work with. I don't have to worry about anything, the Bible says. I don't worry about anything because I know that you're going to take care of it. Your obedience has garnered my favor, and because of that, it's going to bring power to you. It's going to bring blessing. And so we see Joseph getting that favor from the, from the prison guard and, and begin to get that authority uh, from him and puts him in a position where now when the baker and the chef get thrown into prison, they tell him his dream, their dream, he, he interprets it, they go off and live their life, and, and one of them who doesn't get beheaded tells Pharaoh, well, hey, you had a dream, I had a dream once, and this guy interpreted, and that's what rises Joseph into the position of being the second-hand guy to Pharaoh. But think about all the things that happened in between Joseph being um, taken by his, his brothers and, and sold into slavery to him having the power and the authority over all of Pharaoh's kingdom. Think about that. We see the beginning, we see the end, but we don't really think about all the things that had to happen and the time and the investment of all of that going on in his life and him not failing to follow and obey. So what we see here is that blessing comes from the presence of God. The presence of God is activated through favor or grace, but favor is curried through obedience. Obedience. You have to obey. You have to follow the mandates of God. You have to listen to him and say, Lord, what do you want? Follow that through, and that's where you get favor. I think about my, my children. Many of you have, uh, have had the opportunity to um, engage with them in various levels. And I don't have a favorite. Let me just put that out there right now. I don't have a favorite. Um, but there is one that tends to be more obedient than the other. And, and so as a parent, I have to be very careful that I don't show favoritism. But you better believe that in my heart, I know this one, I'm not going to tell you which one, this one curries more favor with me because of her obedience. You ever felt that way about your kids, for those of you who have them? Have you ever felt that way? This one listens to me. This one I get. This one I understand. And that favor inadvertently gets passed along to that child. I thought about my, my, uh, my uncle has twin daughters, my cousins. And uh, I was talking to one of them one day, and, and the, the Spirit of the Lord just rose inside of me, and I began to prophesy to her. And, and it didn't feel like a prophecy. I didn't say, thus saith the Lord, or anything like that. It, it was a conversation that I knew that the Lord wanted me to have with her. We were off by ourselves. It was a party, but he was off doing stuff. We were just kind of off in a side room talking, and, and I began to, to minister to her. And, and, um, and at one point I said, you feel like your sister is the favorite one and many times you feel like you are pushed to the side and and she her eyes began to glisten she started to, to cry a little bit and she said yeah I, I do feel that way and, and and I began to talk to her about it and we you know we had a little good conversation and and I told her you know I, I just want you to know that your family and, and specifically your father loves you very much and, and obviously that brought some waterworks I said, your father loves you very, very much. I think he just doesn't understand you. He, he doesn't 
relate to you the way that he does with your sister, and, and you feel that. That is the source of your ache and your pain because you, it's not that he is different towards you, but you, you can see the way that he deals with her and the way that he deals with you, and, and there's this, this huge disconnect in your mind. And, and again, it's not because he has done anything against her, but, but she can feel that. And then again, she's, you know, she's crying through this thing. And I said, just, just know that your father does love you and, and that you may not feel like the favored one, but it doesn't make you any uh, less of a daughter and, and, a, and an heir of, of this house. And so, you know, we continued to talk a little bit and shared some stuff and, you know, gave her some stuff from my life and obviously talked to her a little, a little bit about the Lord. And, and then, you know, either someone come in or, or something happened and we left. And that was the end of it. But I began to think about that and how favor can be felt. And, and I think about that with my daughters, and I, I make doubly sure that I never let the one daughter feel like she is not important to me, that she's not favored, that, that I don't love her in any way, shape, or form. I, I make very special note that if I go and, and greet one or hug on her, that I will go to the other one. And, and hug on her just as much. In fact, sometimes I make it a point to start with that one and then go to the other one just so that she doesn't think he always goes to that one first. He always goes to my sister first, right? I've, I've got to let them know that I love them equally. But it is true that, that because of her obedience and just the way that she is towards me, that I probably do favor one over the other. And, and I'm not saying that God favors any one person. He's no respecter of persons, right? No respecter of people. But I'm not saying that God favors any one more person of us than the other because he loves us equally. But it is the favor that is curried through obedience that will bring the presence of God. And that's when you begin to feel the blessing. So if, if you've ever thought, Lord, I just need your favor. I need your blessing. And I need your presence. If I need your presence, then I need your favor. And if I need your favor, then you have to be obedient. And what does that mean for you? Proverbs eleven twenty seven: He that diligently seeks good procureth favor, but he that seeks mischief, it shall come unto him. Well, that one's easy, right? Don't seek mischief. How many of you are seeking mischief? Dennis, put your hand down. First Samuel fifteen. 22, and Samuel said, Hath the Lord as great delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices as in obeying the voice of the Lord? Behold, to obey is better than sacrifice and to hearken than the fat of rams. For rebellion is as the sin of witchcraft and stubbornness is as iniquity and idolatry. Because thou hast rejected the word of the Lord, he hath also rejected thee from being king. Hosea 6.6, 6. For I desired mercy, not sacrifice, and the knowledge of God more than burnt offerings. And then Micah 6, 6. Wherewith shall I come before the Lord and bow myself before the high God? Shall I come before him with burnt offerings, with calves of a year old? Will the Lord be pleased with thousands of rams or with ten thousands of rivers of oil? Shall I give my firstborn for my transgression, the fruit of my body for the sin of my soul? He hath showed thee, O man, what is good. And what does the Lord require of thee? but to do justly, to love mercy, and to walk humbly with your God. This is not about doing stuff for God. 
Let me be very clear. You know, when, when I first became saved, I, I was watching the play up here, Heaven's Gates and Hell's Flames, and, and, and the message that came out um, for me abundantly clear is there is nothing that you can do to go to heaven. There is nothing that you can do to be good and, and to do all these good things and get you into heaven. Good people can go to hell. I didn't mean to say it that weird. Good people can have the ability to go to hell. Because what is required is faith, right? Confess, believe in your heart, confess with your mouth that Jesus Christ is Lord, and that he was the sacrifice for your sin, and that brings you entrance into heaven, right? You are receiving this free gift. Receive it. It's yours. It's for free. There's nothing that you can do to earn it. It's a free gift. It was paid for you. Just receive it. That's it. That's all you got to do. I, and I was thinking about that message and, and what that means for all of us and, and especially what it means for here. Obedience is not about all the good things that you can think of to do in order for God to show his favor to you. If my daughter, the unfavored one, don't call her that. If my daughter cleaned her room every single day, every single day, and, and just was just left spotless, but continue to disobey me in other areas, do you think that would curry my favor? Do you think that if God says, look, I, I just want you to do this one thing, just come over here and do this one thing, but you're over here you know, giving money to the poor and, and doing uh, all this servant kind of stuff and, and volunteering and all these great things that you can do, but you're not doing the one thing that God wants you to do, do you think that is obedience? Those things are not bad. You should absolutely do those things. But what God wants is obedience. That is what's going to curry that favor. So when we go back to 1 Chronicles chapter 15 now, we see David made himself houses in the city of David and prepared a place for the ark of God and pitched for it a tent. And David said, none... None ought to carry the ark of God but the Levites. For them hath the Lord chosen to carry the ark of God and to minister unto him forever. This was a law that was handed down from Moses in, in Leviticus and Numbers. You can read all about it where, where God said, this is how my ark should be carried. And it should be carried by the Levites because I have chosen them to carry it and to minister unto me. And David gathered all Israel together to Jerusalem to bring up the ark of the Lord and unto his place, which he had prepared for it. And I skipped a bunch of verses, but just so you know, it's a bunch of names. And he brought this guy and this guy over here and this guy's son and blah, blah, blah. So I skipped it, all right? But welcome to read it. First Chronicles fifteen twelve, And he said unto them, those guys that we just skipped, you are the chief of the fathers of the Levites. Sanctify yourselves both you and your brethren, that you may bring up the ark of the Lord God of Israel unto the place that I have prepared for it. For because you did it not at the first, the Lord our God made a breach upon us. Remember, Perez Uzzah? For that we sought him not after the due order. We did not obey. That's what he's saying here. So the priests and the Levites sanctified themselves to bring up the ark of the Lord of God, the Lord God of Israel. And the children of the Levites bore the ark of God upon their shoulders 
with the staves thereon, as Moses commanded according to the word of the Lord. And David spoke to the chief of the Levites to appoint their brethren to be the singers with instruments of music, psalteries and harps and cymbals sounding by lifting up the voice with joy. Let me pause there for a second. What's different? What's different? They're still, they're still singing music. They're still worshiping. He's, you're going to see in a second, he's still going to worship before this thing here. The difference is God said, I want you to carry it this way. There's a, there's a big pole that goes. I've got a, I built an ark. I don't know if you remember it. I built an ark out of wood uh, and tried to make it as, as, as close to real as possible. And I used little Ken dolls as angels and put little wings on them. Spray painted the whole thing gold. It was very cool. Uh, and it was big. This one was not made out of gold. I didn't have enough gold to put, go around. It was made out of wood, spray painted gold, but it was, it was big and it was heavy, heavy, out of wood. Just two by fours you can buy at Home Depot. It was very heavy wood um, and, and it, it sat there and it was very heavy to lift up. Can you imagine what a gold one, how heavy that would be? But you put the poles on the sides of it through these little rings that go on each side. You put the poles in there and you don't touch the box you lift it by the poles. So you've got these poles and you lift it up and it takes more than one person. It's not like one guy's in the back and one guy's in the front, right? He's like, okay, you got me? All right, you're going too fast, calm down, right? It's none of that. It's like four or five guys and they've all got this thing and they're heaving and hoeing and they've got this thing on their shoulders and it is heavy, heavy. And I, and I can imagine that maybe the presence of God is just as heavy on that thing, weighing down with glory and as the glory is all over this thing, I'm sure these people in their spirit are feeling it. So already they're like, oh, something's happening. So they're trying to carry this thing and something's happening in their spirits and they're trying to move along. They're probably praying in trunks because they don't know what it is, but something's happening. They're going forward and they're, they're carrying this thing and the Lord says that is how my presence should be carried with weightiness, with obedience, with your investment as part of what's going on. You are a part of the traveling of the ark of the covenant it's not on some cart somewhere it's not being put in the trunk of a car and driven to a place it's taken with respect and with music and with worship that is the obedience that god wanted first chronicles 15 25 and a lot of names right between here so that's what we skipped a lot of names so david and the elders of israel and the captains over thousands went to bring up the ark of the covenant of the Lord out of the house of Obed-Edom with joy. And it came to pass when God helped the Levites that bore the ark of the covenant of the Lord that they offered seven bullocks and seven rams. What does that mean? How did he help them? I just told you this thing was super heavy. I'm telling you, the presence of God was over this thing. Where When they're lifting it, they can feel the weight of it. And as they're walking, I'm sure one's thinking, I'm not going to make it. I'm not going to make it. I'm not going to make it. And all of a sudden, the presence of God, the strength of the Lord comes upon him. I'm going to make it. This is, this is amazing. This is awesome. You ever been so tired that you just don't want to go on? I know a lot of our worship people feel this way. Um, where, where they're up here, and, and they're playing during these, these seminars, these conferences. I know Kelly's talked about it where she's playing for hours and just doing this the whole time. Have you thought about that? How my wife's fingers are just kind of doing this for two or three hours? The strain that happens on your hand, but the joy, 
the strength, the power of the Lord that comes upon you when you're up here in his presence. Think about my brother Ken when he was playing the drums and, and just hitting over and over. You do this for five minutes, just five minutes, just this motion right here, and tell me that you won't want to stop for the rest of the day. And they spend hours up here worshiping and singing and, and listening to the voice of God and the drain that has to be upon you when you do that. And you do that night after night after night. But the presence of God comes upon you and the joy that comes during that time and strengthens you. That is what he's talking about right here. And so when they experience that, and they, experience, they had to experience it a lot because David would, would take a couple steps and be like, the Lord is here. It's time to sacrifice. And they would sacrifice another bull, another cow. And they were sacrificing. And David was clothed with a robe of fine linen. And all the Levites that bore the ark and the singers and the Chenina, the master of the song with the singers. And David also had upon him an ephod linen. Thus all Israel brought up the ark of the covenant of the Lord with shouting, and with the sound of the cornet, and with trumpets and with cymbals making a noise with psalteries and harps. And the Bible goes on to say that he danced so hard, flailing his, his phalanges around so much that his clothes began to just tear off. They were getting in his way. And, and he basically came unto the city of David, unto Jerusalem, naked, because he was dancing so hard before the presence of God. And what we learned here is that obedience is garnered through relationship. You cannot obey unless you have a relationship with the Lord because then you're not hearing his voice if you don't have that relationship. Then you're not listening to what he wants from you. We can read in the word a, a strategic overarching uh, understanding of what God wants, right? We, we hear Matthew 28, Make disciples of all nations. We know what we need to do at a very high level. And, and this is for all Christians, all people really out there to follow. But what does God specifically want you to do? What is your point of obedience? And that's why I say all those things that I talked about earlier, the, the giving and the sacrifice and the volunteering are great, great things. God bless you for doing that. But what God really wants from you, what he's really seeking after is that relationship with you. Because then you'll know what he wants for you. For you as an individual. How do you get that relationship? The, the, the prayer, the fasting, the reading of the word, the spending time with him. How do you have a relationship with the person? You, you cannot have a relationship with somebody else unless you talk to them. I've, I've told you about my boss before, and I've said I hope he's not listening. But, you know, if he is, it's fine. I don't have a relationship with my boss. He does not talk to me. He, he is so busy doing all these other things. He, he was just newly hired a couple of months ago, and, and we haven't had really time to sit down and, and discuss his thoughts, his strategies, his ways, the things that he's expecting from me as an individual contributor, as a manager. I just don't know. I, I have not had that opportunity with him. He, he is not in Dallas. He's somewhere else. So every conversation we have is over the phone. A lot of times he'll text me random things. Hey, I need you to get this for me. I need you to get that for me. And obviously I'll go and do it. But we don't have a relationship. 
we do not have a relationship. I don't know how he works, who he is, why he does the things that he does. I don't know what he thinks about for the future. I don't know his vision. I don't know his plans. We don't have a good relationship. And I fear that many people in Christianity have that same type of relationship with God. I, I, I know kind of what you want based on what's in the word, but I really don't have a relationship with you, and I don't know what you want for me. And, and they go along their life and their days doing what they think, what they think is best. I would challenge you. What does God want? Ask him. He'll tell you. It, it might be a struggle to hear it, but he'll tell you. And if you've ever wondered, Lord, why, why do I not feel blessed? Well, you've got to ask yourself, A, do I have a relationship with him? B, is that relationship created obedience? Is that obedience created favor? Has that favor brought the presence of God? And when I have the presence of God, the blessing will come. Not, you're not going to get stuff. You're not going to have some Lamborghini in your driveway when the presence of God comes. He didn't drive up in it and leave you the car keys. But the blessing will come. Father, we thank you so much for your blessing. We thank you for wanting to have a relationship with us. We pray now that you will open up our hearts, our minds, our ears to receive whatever it is that you want from us. Lord, help us to be obedient. Help us to hear your voice. And, and acknowledge that you want us to have this relationship with you and move forward in those things. Father, we look forward to your presence, not to the things that come afterwards, even though those things are great. We look forward to your presence. Help us to see how much our mindset changes when you are with us, because we know that you are in control, that you've got all things in your, in your hands, and you have the best in store for all of us. We love you. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. God bless you. Thank you so much for being here this morning. We look forward to seeing you on Wednesday. Have a great afternoon.